We'll sing at the beginning of this song, Psalm 25, at the beginning to thee, I lift my soul, O Lord, I trust in thee. My God, let me not be ashamed or foes triumph o'er me. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 to God's praise. To thee I lift my soul. join together in prayer let's pray O Lord our God as we sing these songs may we ponder the truths contained within them we realize that we are more than bodies we have souls and we realize that worship that is acceptable worship in your sight is not just worship that is guided by your truth but it involves our souls. And today, with the psalmist, may we be able to say, To thee I lift my soul. And may we be able to say, O Lord, I trust in thee. Because every living day we are utterly dependent upon you for everything. In you we live and move and have our being. And we pray that we would be grateful to you for each and every one of the gifts that you have given uh, to us. 
We thank you at a time like this for family circles. And we remember Tracy and Fraser who were married on Friday as they set out on a lifelong journey together. May they know your blessing. And indeed we pray for your blessing on all of the families associated with this congregation and community. We give thanks today for the sound of little voices in our midst. May we remember our responsibilities towards them. And may we show them what it is not to live a life of absolute perfection, because we can't, but to show them a life of leaning on Christ for everything. We think today of Ella MacDonald's family as they mourn the loss of someone they love dearly. And we thank you that Ella trusted in you. And we pray that you be with each and every one of them, particularly if we are spared on Tuesday. We are reminded again and again and again that our days and years in this world are numbered. We thank you for everyone gathered here, born and unborn. But we are conscious that every time a life begins, it will have its time in this world and then move on. We pray that we would all flee to Jesus as the one who will take our hand in the valley of the shadow of death and lead us to the eternal dwelling place of God. Remember those who are broken hearted. Remember those whose darkness is so deep and immense they cannot see a way ahead. We pray that you would come alongside and that you would comfort and that you would sustain. We pray that you'd be with us for this hour that we are gathered here. Remember the little ones as they go out to their classes. Remember those in, in the creche. And indeed remember each and every one of us from this community who are connected with this church and various events that go on throughout uh, the week. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would come in amongst us and you would uh, enable us and help us to honour you at this time. Remember those of our loved ones who are away from home at this time. Be a blessing to them. Keep them in safety. Watch over them and uh, gather us all to yourself. May we all hide under the shadow of your wing and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now a wee story for the young people here today I was wakened at half past three this morning by my phone pinging and I'm going to read you what it was uh, pinging about because when I heard it pinging at half past three I thought oh no what's happened I was anxious, I was worried, but then when I read the text, I was a wee bit annoyed that it had wakened me up, because this is what it said. It said it was from the government of the United Kingdom, that's the people who, who, who look after us, who rule the country. It said it was from the government of the United Kingdom, UK, 
It says you are eligible for a discounted energy bill under the energy bill support scheme. You can apply here. Now that means that whoever sent me this text was saying to me that I was going to get help. Some kind of money, I guess, to help with paying the, uh, the electricity bills and whatnot. We all know that we're in the midst of a, a crisis as far as these things are concerned. But it was someone sending me a text, half past three in the morning, to tell me that I guess they were going to give me some money if I, if I answered the text. The reason I was annoyed was I knew fine it wasn't someone genuine. It was someone who was looking for me to answer them and they would, I guess, have asked me for my bank details and they would be telling me we're going to give you some money to help you out but they weren't going to give me money at all. They were after the money that, well, it's not very much in my account, <laughs> but the little that's in it, they were going to take and, uh, and that's why I was annoyed with them. They woke me up to tell me this nonsense. They woke me up to tell me apocalypse, basically. And uh, I just want to compare that to the message God gives to us in this book that we have before us. This book, was, we've just been singing one of its songs, and it's the same idea, someone sending a message to me. And the difference between that text I got and the message God gives us, it couldn't be more different. Because what God is telling us is this. This text was pretending that they were going to be helpful to me and give me something. Whereas in actual fact, I think they were going to try and steal some money from me. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is about God helping me, you, anybody who wants his help. And the help that he gives us is absolutely astonishing because he promises to look after us all our days in this world, but that's not at all. He tells us that he'll look after us when it comes to our moment for dying and he will look after us away beyond into the future, into eternity. Because when you trust in Jesus as your saviour, God at death takes you to heaven to be with himself. Or at least he takes our souls. We've been singing about our souls in the song that we've sung uh, today. Now someday out in the future God will take our bodies as well and our bodies and souls will be reunited and we'll be body and soul in heaven with God. So there couldn't be a greater difference between what I got at half past three this morning and the message that God gives us in the Bible. And my hope and prayer is this that we're listening to God and that we'll all take from God what he's offering to give it to us. That's my hope and prayer today. Let's sing again to God's praise in the same psalm, Psalm 25, the first verse on page 231 of the Psalter, and it's at verse 6. Thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to remember, and loving kindnesses, for they have been of old forever. We'll sing verses 6 to 10 of Psalm 25. Thy tender mercies, Lord. <clears throat>
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. John and at chapter 11. And we'll read at the beginning of uh, the chapter. John chapter 11 at the beginning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went and met him. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, 
but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him.
Amen. And may God bless to us that reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we read this passage of scripture, there are so many mysteries in it. But help us to remember this is the truth. Even your bitter enemy Caiaphas was prophesying about Christ dying. That is a mystery because he was no friend of Christ's. And we realize that the truth of what was happening was so evident before the eyes of all of these enemies of Jesus that they were basically saying everybody will be following him and in the panic of the moment they didn't really know what to do but it underscores and reiterates that this is the one who was doing all these astonishing miracles and the greatest miracle of all is that on the third day according to his own words he rose triumphant over the grave we ask you today Lord to forgive us for not believing you the way that we are meant to believe we do not allow the depths and the resilience of your truth to seep into the fibre of our being in such a way that we will be confident even in the face of death itself instead so often we are reeling and we are all over the place with anxieties and fears O Lord our God we acknowledge this is a troubled world and we acknowledge that we all have our problems to face but help us O Lord to come and sit at your feet and to listen to your words and to allow these truths to give us stability and strength in the midst of all our weaknesses and all our waywardnesses. So be with us for this time that we are gathered here. Help us, we pray, as we seek to explore your word afresh this day. Keep the enemy of our souls at bay. May we be edified and may you be glorified. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's uh, Psalm number 61. That's found on page 293 of the Psalter. And it's at the beginning of the song. O God, give ear unto my cry, and to my prayer attend. From the utmost corner of the land, my cry to thee I'll send. We'll sing verses 1 to 5 of Psalm 61. O God, give ear unto my cry.
Now let's turn to the passage that we've read in John's Gospel, chapter 11. And we'll read at the beginning of uh, the chapter. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. I'm returning to where we were, at least to the area of Scripture we were, at the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening. And there are three things I would like to say a little bit about. And the first is this, dealing with problems. These people were faced with a problem. I want us to explore a little bit of how they dealt with their problem. Dealing with problems. We've all got problems. We've all got lots and lots of problems. The second thing I want us to look at is dealing with disappointing responses. Because hopefully, ultimately, we do the same as Mary and Martha did. And that we turn to the Lord with our problems. But sometimes when we do that, we are very disappointed. And it is dealing with disappointing responses. And the third thing I want us to look at is dealing with delightful outcomes. Because at the end of the day, there is a delightful outcome to this situation. And uh, I want us to look thirdly at our dealing with delightful outcomes. But first of all, dealing with uh, problems. And the first thing I want us to notice is this. And we ought to take our cue from uh, these people. You know, Bethany was not far from the capital of Israel, Jerusalem. And um, the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus was a home that Jesus frequented often. In other words, it was a very hospitable home. The truth is this. All our homes ought to be hospitable. Whatever we have been given in this world, we have got it all from God. And there is a great danger in this. If we have much of this world's goods, we start thinking independently and we can easily push God out of the equation. But whatever God has given us in life's journey, we should hold with a very loose grip. Because sooner or later, and maybe much sooner than many of us have ever realized, we are going to have to let it all go. Every last bit of it. But it's not technically correct to use that Sentence every last bit of it because it's not all just things and bits, it's our families as well. We have our families and our togetherness, 
for a limited period of time. And in a fallen world there will always be stresses and strains. There will always be that. Family is God's idea. And anything that is God's idea is in the sights of the enemy of souls. Marriage, we've just had a marriage within the congregation last Friday. Marriage is not man's idea. Marriage is God's idea. That's why there are people in this world who have put billions of dollars and pounds of resources into tearing apart the institution of marriage. And anything that is God's idea and that is wholesome and God-honoring and of benefit to ourselves is going to come into the sights of the great uh, enemy. So everything we have, including our families, we have for a limited period of time and we should hold whatever we have loosely. But whilst we have whatever God has given to us, including our homes, they are meant to be hospitable homes. They are, meant, they are there as part of the great equation of honouring God. And so Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home was a very hospitable one. Do you know, when Jesus was in this world, what we read of him is this, foxes have holes and the birds of the air of their nest, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. That is utterly astonishing. Because Jesus isn't just a human being. He's God, the eternal God, come as a human being. He made everything. It all belonged to him. And everything that we've got, he's given to us. But the astonishing thing is, in his earthly sojourn here, he didn't even have a home he could call his own. He was dependent on the charity of others. And this was a charitable home. And so he was in it often with Mary and Martha and with, uh, with Lazarus. But it was a two-way thing. They, don't, they didn't just give him hospitality. It worked the other way as well. He taught them. He blessed them. He gave to them. And wherever we use what God has given to us in a God-honoring way, there will be blessing attaching uh, to that. But right now, one of the major problems facing Mary and Martha is this. Lazarus has fallen ill. And they immediately think in terms of, we know who Jesus is, we know what he's capable of, we know he's not here, get, get a message to him. And the, the message is very simple. It's really quite short. The one whom thou lovest, the one whom you love, is sick. That's all. And I did highlight this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday and it baffles me because this isn't a problem for people in the world who don't have Jesus in their lives. Strangely, it's a problem for believers. Sometimes in this topsy-turvy world that we live in in the midst of all our problems, for some reason or other, the last person we go to with our problems is God, is Jesus. We try to sort it out ourselves. We try to give, get somebody else to sort it out. We try this, that, and the next thing. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with 
coming alongside others and using their skills and the gifts that they have to help us out in difficult situations. But what is wrong is this. We seem to leave God sometimes to the last. We seem to leave Jesus to the last. It's as if, well, everything else has failed me. I have nowhere else to go. And so we turn to him. That doesn't seem to be what happened on, on, this, uh, on this occasion. On this occasion, they turn uh, to the one whom thou lovest is sick. And we should take, we should take, our, cue, uh, we should take our cue from that. Now sometimes we fall into this trap. We only go to him with the big problems. The song that we have been singing is this. We are expectant upon God every single day. But that has to be qualified. We are expectant upon God every single day for everything. You know, when, when we read that we are to pray without ceasing, I think that means this. That there's a sigh going up from our souls to God every single day about everything. Please God, in all my need, help me. With everything that I have to attend to this day. And you know, if we start our days, when our eyes are opened on the pillow, if they turn heavenwards, then they've turned in a good direction. They've turned in a wholesome direction and they've turned in a, in a helpful direction. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how mundane and routine the issue may be. We need to turn heavenwards. You know, it may be an everyday thing. It might be a phone call that we're dreading making. You know, these phone calls that you think, I'm not going to do that today. I just don't want to do it today. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. And it gets put off and gets put off and put off. And sometimes we just trundle along life trying to handle that all by ourselves. We're not meant to be doing that. In him we live and move and have our being everything. Everything. Um, everything comes under this. So my first point is this dealing with, uh, with problems. The one whom thou lovest is sick. But you know, sometimes... We find it difficult to stop there. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we find it difficult to just give them the problem and leave it with them. And sometimes this is what we do. We start working out solutions. And we start working out, I wonder what the chances are of this being the outcome. And we, and we start dictating to God. We start telling Jesus how to answer and solve our problems. And you know, we're very, very strange creatures. Because sometimes we'll work out in our minds, I wonder what the possibility of getting this answer is. And if we think, oh no, it's pretty remote. We're pretty remote that he would do that for us. So we dismiss it all. And we bottle up the problem and we go on bottling it up. And so we live with stresses and strains that we really shouldn't be living with at all. I mean, if you look around yourself in this day and age, there are people all over the place with stresses and strains. Pretty much destroying people. 
I think that we have to learn to do what Mary and Martha did. One whom you love is sick. Full stop. But my second point was this. Dealing with the disappointing responses. Because my guess is this. That if Mary and Martha didn't expect Jesus to drop everything and come rushing back to the home in Bethany, I think there's many others that expected that. But he didn't do that. He remains where he is. And in the face of it, it looks as if he is doing nothing at all. And that seems pretty strange and you know we don't have time to go into it all but you know at one stage Jesus says that uh, Lazarus is sleeping and uh, basically what he's saying is the sleep of death has overtaken him but the disciples completely misunderstand that and they think that he's just taking a sleep you know like the sleep that we had last night uh, he's resting in sleep and you know this is a big problem this is a big problem when it comes to you know in my children's address today I spoke about that not nice message that I got pretending to be helpful to me in the, in the middle of the night last night and how different it is from the message that Jesus gives us in this book called uh, the Bible but you know our problem with the message that Jesus gives us is this we, we put our own interpretation onto it that's why whenever we come to read the Bible we have to remember that even for that we are totally and utterly dependent on God, on Jesus. It means this, every time we open the Bible, our souls have to go heavenwards and our souls have to come in all their need and say, help me as I read this to understand what you are saying. And I guess that prayer is the same as saying, send your spirit into my soul so that the eyes of my soul will see your truth and I will take it in and it will feed my soul and in the midst of it feeding my soul I will give you your place and I will give you your honour and I will give you your glory but instead of that we read it the way we want to read it in other words our wills are dictating how scripture is being read and you know, the astonishing thing about the life of Jesus is this. His will and the will of his heavenly Father, they merged and they were one and the same all the time. But our problem, even as saved people, is this. There is still the remaining sin in our lives. And sometimes... I, I, I is what dictates the day instead of it being nevertheless not my will but thine be done. And our prayer should be enable me on a day to day basis even in the routines of life's journey to have my will merging with the will of, uh, of the eternal God.
But here we have another example of uh, the disciples totally understand, misunderstanding what, uh, what Jesus was saying uh, to them. And as we read that passage, one of the things we read was how both Martha, first of all, and then Mary greeted Jesus when they came together. They both say the exact same thing. If thou hadst been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now it doesn't matter how you look at that. There's a degree of criticism there. You, you should have been here. And it's not that Jesus got it wrong. He doesn't get it wrong. They got it wrong. Even from this point of view, do you remember Jairus' daughter when, 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 when uh, the miracle happens there? He, he realizes the father that Jesus doesn't need to be with the daughter that from wherever he is in this world he can give the word and that the miraculous power of Jesus operates but Mary and Martha are thinking he, if he had been here if he had been here he wouldn't have died here is a profound mystery We die by appointment. That's what God's word tells us. It is appointed unto man. And that's the generic use of man. Men, women, children. It is appointed unto man once to die. It is by divine appointment. And yet... If we live recklessly, for example, if someone's going to be traveling up and down the A9 at 120 miles an hour, chances are that sooner or later they may come to grief and it may be a fatal accident. And, and, and we have such a thing as human responsibility. And there is also something of divine sovereignty and somehow or other these two things dovetail. It's the same as this great issue of election that we find in scripture. Scripture makes it very clear that God elects people. But this God also leaves us with human responsibility. You know, you get the person who says, and I was highlighting this at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, if I'm going to be saved, I'll be saved, and if not, I'm not. And people who operate at that level, there's one thing that's sure, is this. They are not going to be saved. Why can I say that? Or how can I say that? Because the same God who gives us the great teaching of election also tells us this. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. We have a, we have a responsibility. 
We are responsible. And uh, I don't need to tell anybody here this day that we are flawed and that we are lives that are full of problems. But if we turn heavenwards with it and ask him to have mercy on our souls and to help us, he's never going to say no. But we might well not turn heavenwards. We might flout our human responsibility. There are these two things, our responsibility and the sovereignty of God. But at the end of the day, we die by divine appointment. And Lazarus died by divine appointment. But these words of Mary and Martha, they were full of disappointment. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. That was a disappointing response that Jesus gave to them. And I can well imagine observers looking on and seeing this scenario. Well, we know what they said. Could this man that has opened the eyes of the blind not have helped? And it looks as if Jesus is being cold, and it looks as if Jesus is being callous, and it looks as if Jesus is just not the Jesus full of pity that we come across in other areas of Scripture. That's what it looks like. And it's not just in this kind of scenario that we can come to that kind of assessment. We can come to that assessment as we come up against hard things to bear in this world. God, Jesus, so disappointing. So disappointing. But we cannot leave it there. We have to move on to dealing with delightful uh, outcomes. Because there is a delightful outcome. You know, by the time Jesus gets there, uh, Lazarus is dead. And we read in this version of the Bible that there was an odour. The AV is much nearer to the point. By, the, by, by now he stinketh. There is a stink of death. Not just a literal, but a metaphoric. Death is our enemy. Death is our real enemy. Death wrecks so much. And death tears hearts apart so much. But it's not going to have the final say. It's not going to have the final say. Because Lazarus is well and truly dead and entombed. But Jesus with a loud voice says, Lazarus, come forth. And you have this utterly astonishing sight of a man who's wrapped in these linen uh, cloths coming out of the tomb. And what consternation there was amongst the church authorities of the day. You know, the church authorities of the day did not say these miracles are not happening. It's all lies. It's all a pack of lies. That's not what they were saying. They couldn't say that. Why not? 
too much evidence. There was just too much evidence. So their tack on this particular one is when they realize Lazarus is alive and amongst them once again is get rid of him. Kill him. But there was a much greater killing that they had in their sights and that was get rid of Jesus. Get, kill him. Now it's not as if they were saying he's a fraud. It's not really happening. They couldn't take that tack. They couldn't take that approach. There was just too much evidence, to put it another way. The truth was manifest before them. And so their way of dealing with the truth is destroy him and get rid of him. But this is the astonishing thing. God's a step ahead of every last one of them. Their very destroying of him is going to be used by God to do something that changes this world forever. So God uses the crucifixion. And on the third day he rises triumphant over the grave. So that you and I shall not die eternally. But shall be enabled to dwell in the immediate presence of God. And when Jesus says of Lazarus, this sickness is not unto death, he does not mean that Lazarus isn't going to die at all. Lazarus did die. But Lazarus comes alive again. But Lazarus will die for a second time. Lazarus died again, and I guess he was entombed again. And Lazarus today is dead and gone. Well, to a degree. His body, the dust of that body, is somewhere in the land of Israel. His soul has gone to be with his maker. And when Jesus comes back to this world for a second time, the dust of Lazarus and the soul of Lazarus will come together again. There will be a change that will take place, that's true. But there will also be a continuum. That's why the bodies of dead people are just so important and precious. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately enter into glory. Their bodies remain in the grave until the resurrection. When Jesus came to this world for the first time, he came in humility. He didn't have a home to call his own. He was dependent on the hospitality of that home in Bethany. They derided him, they scorned him, they mocked him, they trod all over him. They didn't give him anything of the place and the position that was rightfully his. It's not going to be that way. The second time round. Because we read this, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. <coughs> And sadly on that day some knees will be bowing for the very first time. And it will be too late to get the benefits of Christ. But there will be some knees that bowed. And it was not for the first time. 
And they will hear these blessed words. Come ye blessed of the Lord. Inherit. This sickness is not unto death. But it was for the glory of God. In what way could the death of Lazarus. Have redound to the glory of God. You know these these women had an idea of who Jesus was and what he was capable of. He could cure a sick brother. Not in their wildest dreams did they ever imagine that Lazarus was going to come alive again on that day. Yes, they had their theology sorted out. They knew about a resurrection when Jesus would come for the second time. They had all that sorted but what at the end of the day they did was they had a limited understanding of Jesus and I'm afraid everything I have said today comes down to this we all have a limited understanding of Jesus we need our horizons broadened we need the blinkers taken from our eyes how does that happen well for them it happened through the death and the resurrection of Lazarus was it painful it was unspeakably painful they loved that brother it was unspeakably painful but in the midst of the pain and the sorrow they are being developed and they are being matured and they are being progressed and they are being brought on so that at the end of the day their insights as to who Christ was and what he was capable of was far, far greater than it was from the outset. And at the end of the day, that's the way God deals with his people. We are not here to live a life of luxury. We are here living a life in which we will be refined by the refining fires of God's furnace that will at the end of the day be not only for the glory of God's name but for our enhancement and our our development and our progress as we mature along the way in the hands clay in the hands of the great potter May God grant that we would bow before him this day and in the midst of all our tears and heartache be able to rest in him and in him alone. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, please help us. In the bumpy ride of life's journey, turn heavenwards and to glean from you the blessing that you and you alone can give and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's conclude by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 23 Psalm 23 it's found on page Two to nine of the Psalter, it's at the beginning of the song, The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. 
He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. We'll sing the whole song to God's uh, praise. The Lord's my shepherd.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.